Welcome to the Scottish Paranormal Podcast. I'm your host Chris, and here we'll be delving into the multitude of strange occurrences that are within Scotland and beyond. You can contact us via accounts at scottishparanormalpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on all social media channels and contact us by either means. Tonight's episode, we're discussing all things high strangeness and synchromysticism with Nathan Paul Isaac, who is the writer, producer, and host of the Penrill Podcast. We're going to get right into it now, and we're going to welcome Nathan to the show. Thanks for coming to the show, uh, coming on, and I just like to welcome Nathan to the show. So listen, uh, it's good to have you on, man. And uh, man. if you like, we'll just kind of get right into it if you want. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show too. Seriously, and I'm glad we were able to like get this going and scheduled and and uh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's, it's hard trying to kind of um, make the planets align as well as do work and deal with family and dogs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so well, yeah, before we obviously you're the the host and producer and writer a the Penny Royale podcast, um, but even b- before we can get into the the Penny Royale, what what can he got you into this kind of um, probably if it's synchro mysticism or even just I know you went down that route way doing the Penny Royale, but what can he got you into the high strangeness or um, like yourself? Um, you know, growing up in Eastern, I, I grew up in Eastern Kentucky, um, where, where I'm right now is in central Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of, uh, when you think of like deliverance or yeah. <laughs> some of the, uh, <laughs> the, the more backwoods stuff, um, you know, that's where I'm from, sort of the, the deep in the mountains. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, growing up there, there were a lot of weird things, but also it's, it's very, um, secluded in a way, you know, it's a very isolated region. Mm-hmm. and um both culturally you know and geographically and i think that cultural isolation led to me um being more being very interested in things outside of where i lived you know mm-hmm. and and there's just a lot of strange stuff my family's uh been in the appalachian area for you know a couple hundred years the family didn't leave that plot of land. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in Penny Royal, I talk a lot about the relationship between people and place yeah, uh, and how that sort of generates folklore. And so a lot of that came out of hearing these weird ghost stories, these spook light stories, mm-hmm. um, you know, Bigfoot haints, all of these strange things. And, um, and, you know, in college, I, I, I studied um, uh, philosophy and Eastern religions. And so, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I've just been, I've, I've always been interested in, uh, Fortiana, uh, mm-hmm. very early on, uh, read Charles Fort's, you know, book of the damned mm-hmm. and, um, and yeah. And, and I knew about the meat shower here in Kentucky. So ah, you know, that's my <laughs> all of those things sort of, uh, you know, come together and, and, and really piqued my interest. And then, 
you know, when we came down here, I went to college in Lexington, which is sort of the central part of uh, Kentucky where bourbon and horses, you know, yeah. people are probably familiar with, with that region for, for that fact. But, um, but my wife is from Somerset and from Pulaski County. And so mm-hmm. we moved um, down here to work with her family and, you know, you moved down here and again, it was like, I'm never going to move back to a small town here. And it, this isn't compared to where I come from. This is a very big place. The population's, yeah. you know, 60, 70,000 people. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a place with 2000 people, you know, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> but, but in relative terms to Lexington, you know, I could get Indian, Indian food in Lexington. I can't yeah. get Indian food here, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so there's a, uh, a bit of a lack of cultural diversity. This is a rural area. And I was like, I'm never going to go back to another rural area. And, <laughs> and so I, I did, but you know, once I was down here, that's sort of trying to, you know, not knowing anyone and really hearing stories from people as I met new people and um, hearing folklore. And of course people like to talk about murders and all kinds of, you know, yeah. the, the, the messed up stuff, you know, um, and that's really sort of what started it. You know, I already had an interest in all of this stuff. And mm-hmm. um, and then it just was like a, a slippery slope as we got more and more into this, that mm-hmm. it just it just <laughs> involved us more and more. And mm-hmm. well, I guess the more that we put our hands in the pie, you know what I mean? We, yeah. we sort of ended up cooking it, you know, and, and the guys <laughs> that, were, that were making it, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my background and how I ended up in this, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. So like, going to the, the painting Royale, I mean, so for any listeners who haven't yet had the, the pleasure of listening to painting Royale yet, um, can you explain in kind of broad terms what it's about? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, once I moved down here to, to Pulaski County, um, I'd heard, stories um about um, from my neighbor next door neighbor um Mm -hmm. about a cult here in town right and it it all started because when i uh, i was coming home from work driving through downtown around the circle and there were all these people protesting they had these signs that said you know you did it and Mm -hmm. when i got home i I asked my neighbors i was like what what are what is that you know what are they protesting and that's when they explained that there was a young girl um in her, I think she was 20, 21, and um, her half brother, who was four or five, uh, were found murdered uh, here in Somerset mm-hmm. uh, in, in 1994. But it was like a brutal murder, unsolved murder. And, uh, you know, Dateline NBC here in the States has covered it. And there's, you know, there's a lot of press behind it. Yeah, yeah. But they've never found out who did it. Um, and I was really intrigued, but they told me that it was related to a cult. And all these people in town were involved. And I was like, man, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, like I, I couldn't believe that. So, you know, I started, I love to research stuff like this, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people do. And um, I started, you know, pulling newspapers and asking people. And what I ended up, and that, that really was the impetus for the podcast. Cause I knew there were a lot of strange things. You know, people were telling me stories of UFO sightings and, you know, there's the Kino monster here in town, like Bigfoot sightings, just all kinds of weird stuff. Like, yeah. and, and that stuff was mounting and the murders and a cult. I was like, oh, I wonder if there's some weird relationship between these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just started to record. I hadn't done any podcasts prior to Penny Royal. Uh, but I've done a lot of work with uh, video 
and filming music videos and um, had a studio above Jarfly Brewing. And, um, and so anyway, well, I had the studio where we could produce this. I started recording interviews with people because I was like, man, there's a lot of weird stories here. And then it seemed like the stories were matching up, that there were connections between things. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, you know, there's no cult. I don't think there's a cult, you know. Yeah. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that there are people that aren't doing certain things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, this, but the original story that I, that I had, uh, that kind of started me down this path, eventually we found out that it was uh, three different murders, stories from three different murders had been blended together mm-hmm. into this crazy thing. So I'd sort of tracked down how this story had progressed over time and became what I heard. And that's really what the accepted story is, though. You know, that's the that's the local folklore. People believe that's true, but we found out it's not. But there are elements of truth in it. Mm -hmm. But while that was all going on, um, you know, I'm sure people are familiar with Hellier, uh, Greg Newkirk, Dana Newkirk and crew. Um, In the second season, they ended up in Somerset and. Mm -hmm. They had also the, the reason that they they revealed to me during this interview that they, they wanted to talk to me about just general strangeness here. We didn't know they were even filming the show at the time, right? Yeah. And um, and they talked to Kyle, you know, who's a associate producer on uh, Penny Royal, uh, Kyle Cadell, and he runs the Paranormal Museum here in yeah. town. And that was another thing that was strange. It was like how many towns have their own Paranormal Museum? And so Kyle, we sort of met because I was looking for. Um, those kinds of stories and i thought Mm -hmm. everybody's gonna come through his doors and tell him a story so um so anyway they knew kyle kyle had been at conventions with uh the new kirks and so when they were in town they talked to him and then wanted to know if there was anyone else and he recommended me so we ended up talking and that's when they revealed that they were down here because they had heard these stories about a cult right Mm -hmm. and i had kind of walked them through some of that stuff well at that point i didn't think there was a cult and kind of had dismissed it but hearing them tell me these things i kind of flipped out and they i think they they were shaken as well just because it was it was so strange yeah and after that i was like well do we need to look into this further and it was like from that point on once we really started asking questions about um you know was there a cult and then we found the, the woman named Pamela who's telling us that there is a cult and it's at this Mount Victory mine. Then yeah. we look at the Mount Victory mine and find out that it was owned by Spiro Agnew, vice president to Richard Nixon mm-hmm. with this shady attorney here in town who had a book written about him called dark and bloody ground mm-hmm. and that they had sold that mine to a guy named Alexander Guterma that the mm-hmm. New York times refers to as Mr. X. Right. And it was like this crazy series of events where it was like, is some of this true? Which, again, I don't think there's a cult here in town, but it was like, what what strange configuration of coincidences. Right. Mm-hmm. And the when Hellier, the TV show came out you know, when the, in the second season and they revealed all the pan stuff, mm-hmm. the rebirth of pan that uh, Jim Brandon, who's really uh, uh, Bill Grimstead wrote. And then this connection to pan. On our side, you know, I was working on a film with an artist named Dan Dutton, a very mm-hmm. famous artist here in the States. And, and uh, in his work, his, his opera, 
that we were trying to recreate was called the fawn, which is based on pan, right? So it was just weird that they were here doing this pan ritual in a cave. Dan and I were working on doing a pan ritual and filming it as part of this art piece in Elkhorn City. And then you find out Elkhorn City, that Hellier is a suburb of Elkhorn City. Mm-hmm. You know, the address of the house that they go to in Hellier is actually Elkhorn City. It's mm-hmm. that zip code, you know, but they, it's not in the show. But it was a weird confluence of things. And so, you know, after that, we found all kinds of weird stuff with a mental institution here in town called uh, Oakwood that was founded around the same time that Guterma <coughs> uh, was here. Mm-hmm. And Dan Dutton had had an experience there. There seemed to be channeling of entities. And we found all these documents about um, a court case from the state of Kentucky against mm-hmm. Oakwood where and this was in the official documents, a witch cult was operating in the tunnels beneath the facility and they were burning symbols into the backs of these patients. Right. Mm. And then, then finding these stories of that there was uh, a group of patients sequestered from everyone else that were supposedly high functioning savants that uh, we, we interviewed people that, that told us that they were inhabited by these alien intelligences. Right. Mm. And it was the, uh, Space Brothers story that they were trying to help us, yeah. and then Dan, Dan Dutton went to teach them painting lessons, and <laughs> doesn't remember what happened, you know. And it was like all of these things independently were coming together, all of these weird interlocking pieces that that all, that's really what the first season became was documenting all of the, all of those experiences as they unfolded for us, mm-hmm. and and so a lot of the second season is the continuance of that story, a lot of the story that I just couldn't fit in the first season, but also a lot of things that have happened since that have been uh, ultra, ultra strange, you know. At the same time, though, the, the Hellier thing was going on uh, with the Newkirks, and it was like a parallel investigation going on. Yeah. As well. yeah. And then, you know, and, and until they released the second season, we didn't know that it matched up so much. You know, there really was, you know, for me, I think that's the strangest thing out of all of this right is you know whether whether anything with goblins is true or anything with you know a lot of this stuff that we've heard here it's like it is super strange that that whole pan connection and them showing up here and then dan dutton and i working on the pan you know the fawn film and that Mm -hmm. all coming together i mean it's it's totally i mean to me that's that's indicative of something synchronous happening totally you know, yeah. um, to me, that's the weird one of the weirdest things. The, the secret Commonwealth was was the reason I I kind of I, I started listening to your podcast. Um, and I hadn't heard the hell I hadn't heard the hell there, but I hadn't watched it or anything. And I think I'd I'd heard you on a podcast with um, Timothy Renner, and and you'd mentioned I'm sure you'd mentioned Pan and see and secret Commonwealth and that I'm sure it was something. And I had no long just bought the secret Commonwealth book right which is it's a it's an odd book to buy anyway you wouldn't think a lot of people would buy it and i, I knew the stories and stuff and, and it was linked to something i was looking at um in an area where robert kirk was from right so robert kirk obviously was the 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 who wrote the, the secret commonwealth and stuff and so all that and it was linked to a, a few other things as well and, and that's and that's the reason why i i, I kind of I, I started listening to your podcast as well so i was doing that so and, yeah, I mean, so, the secret Commonwealth stuff is definitely like the fact that Dan 
Dan Dutton's four-part opera series Mm -hmm. that started in 1992 is about fairies and sort of the the road of life the road of death all these you know uh all these things about alchemy and fairies and dreaming mm-hmm. and you know that's what any on that all that stuff's filmed i'll have to send you some clips too of some of the, yes. the secret commonwealth that he created but it's just weird it's it's weird that he was in this place and was already sort of mining that psychic sort of those archetypes here mm-hmm. and then it, it almost feels like i don't know i mean was he did he was he doing that because of this place or did this place attract people that mm-hmm. were sort of you know involved with investigating those archetypes you, you I, could I listen know. to you could listen to dan all day long with the, this this just the, the way he tells a story and the amount of detail he can remember about a story um, he's a master storyteller yeah oh it's unbelievable i mean you could just listen to him all day <laughs> stories um but we, one thing i was going to ask you do you do you think that dan did remember more when he went to the asylum that he um, didn't want to allude to i don't i don't think so because dan you know I cut the the rest of the conversation that I recorded, you know, that's a live conversation, like a really yeah, yeah. like when, when he told me that. And, uh, and like, I remember I got very, I started, you know, you get that feeling in your chest, like, like a panic almost. Um, and as he was telling me, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking there's no way he's going to tell me that, the, mm-hmm. that something happened yeah. there. You know, and as he's telling me, I'm like, I'm like, oh man, my, I can feel my pulse because I'm like, oh, oh, this is one, this, this is one of those things that I'm glad I have the recorder on for. But what I didn't include in it was the fact that he really is sort of shaken a- afterwards. Like the rest of the evening, we were talking about the fact that that a lot of his work involves memory. You know, the Secret Commonwealth is also yes. about memory, and. And so he also is a ballad singer. And so he knows the child ballads, a lot of the, you know, like over a hundred of the child ballads mm-hmm. um, and very few people know, know those ballads. And a lot of his work has been fo- focused on that, but he has this intense memory. And, and so he's prides himself, you know, part of his art is his memory. Mm-hmm. And so when, he, when he's telling me this and he gets to the part to describe what happened, mm-hmm. there was a look of horror on his face because he actually couldn't remember. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, later we talked about it. Cause it, you know, it was like, I've never had this happen where, and, and he had never heard of, um, you know, any type of like uh, screened memories. Mm-hmm. Right. He, you know, he's Dan's not into the paranormal. Right. Yeah. And, and he's never seen his work as paranormal. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's the way it's just the way it's always been. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it was a huge shock to him when I explained that there's this thing called screened memories and it sounds like you, you know, Mm -hmm. somehow that's been blocked out. But again, that day that he came back ended up being such a prolific day that, that, you know, the secret Commonwealth, all the, all the seeds for these works Mm -hmm. came to him that afternoon, you know? And so, you know, he doesn't know at the time, he didn't know that we were, that we had interviewed a guy that would told us that there was a, a cottage of savants you know mm-hmm. he didn't know that i hadn't i hadn't played any of this stuff for him he was mm-hmm. just telling me i mentioned oakwood because of the connection between the oakwood king pan yeah. and the holly king right mm-hmm. and that's when he was like 
well, I've got an Oakwood story for you. <laughs> and then it played out. So, you know, it's just one of those, I don't know. I mean, it's just so, and lots of things are happening right now because of all this, because of the second season. And, you know, we're now, you know, the Fawn film is almost finished. We're working on another one of his operas called The Stone Man. Uh, that's about elemental forces. That was his first dance opera. And the more that we engage with that work, the more that he's having lots of strange things happen, you know, just more strange things. And I think he's just more aware of it now. You know, yeah. I think it was part of the, the art process before. And now he, I guess he, I think he always felt that it was coming from within. And mm-hmm. now he's questioning whether or not it's coming from some external place, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of frightening, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's great, but he really didn't. He, he, he has no memory of that. And and but I was able to find out who the woman was that was the caretaker mm. that that took him, but can't disclose it. I can't even he I, I can't talk to her, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, I'm dying to know more, you know. And, and we've interviewed <laughs> a lot of people. People have super strange stories about Oakwood. It's mm-hmm. it's crazy how. Yeah, it um, seemed like it. Yeah. Yeah, and even today, you know, a lot of people. But it's changed hands a number of times. It's in a you know a private company owns it now. That was, the state owned it at the time that all of that was happening. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, man, it's just. But it's like when you layer all of this stuff together, you know that that there are these weird murders, all these stories of cults. Then we do find out that there is a green man cult here, the you know Gwythonic mm-hmm. Order, um, which really isn't a cult, but it's a pagan group that mm-hmm. that worships uh, or that Sunernos is part of the the practice mm-hmm. and the Tuata de name stuff too. Right. And to find an actual green man cult, you know, or that, that had group that had been, that moved their international headquarters here in 2004. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that confirms what the Amy girl was saying to, to uh, Greg and Dana and Hellier too. Right. So it's like, what in, did she know someone that was in the group? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think she was, but I think, you know, I think she may have known someone encountered them. Maybe she had an encounter with a pagan group in the forest and just totally misinterpreted, you know, because those, those guys aren't, you know, that group's not killing people. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You know, peaceful group with earth worshiping group. So, you know, it's just like the story of the murders, you know, just the local folklore and, and people, the telephone game, twists all of this stuff mm-hmm. um in, into something that it's not um and so like you know part of the investigation has been unraveling you know those twists and turns that have distorted the truth and that's the thing as well when you get these synchronicities that happen um probably yourself when you're investigating this and it's what ones to follow what ones not to follow and so when you were um and investigating it all what was the most prominent synchronicities that happened to like yourselves when you were investigating it um i mean or was there that many <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there, i, mean, I know we've a, mentioned a few there um, and obviously with the new culture stuff and, and things like that and um, yeah the, you know there, there were like tons and tons hmm. some of the weirder weirder ones were like i don't think i put this in the first season but um at one at one point, I was, I was upstairs editing the show, and I came downstairs into the bar, and there was a an attorney that I know sitting at the bar, and 
um, he was asking what I was doing and I was like, Oh, I'm doing this podcast. And you know, there's, you know, here it gave him a little rundown while I was waiting for my beer to get bored, you know, poured. And, mm-hmm. and I mentioned Hellier and the Amy girl. And he was like, well, I represented her in that case. And I'm like, what? And so he basically explains to me that he was the attorney that represented her when they, you know, allegedly broke into that cabin mm-hmm. and saw all the stuff with the elevator, you know, yeah, it turns yeah. out that, but, but it turns out that's true. There was an yeah. elevator in that Gosh. cabin. And guess, and so guess whose cabinet was the neighbors next door to me that told me the original stories of the murders in the cult. It was their great, it was their great uncle's cabin. And they were like, so I was talking to them about the the elevator and they were like, oh yeah, we've played there. They were like, it used to be stairs <laughs> in the fifties. And they took it out because as they got sicker, they had a storeroom down there yeah. as part of the cave. And so they put in a medical lift in the bathroom that would mm-hmm. take them down into the cellar. And they remember the two brothers that lived next door to me for a decade were like, Oh yeah, we played down there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know? And I was like, I was like, what? You know, but, but anyway, but back to the attorney guy though, you know, he's, and he's telling me that, uh, that he was her attorney. And I tell him this whole story and he was like, man, I wish he had told me that stuff because I could probably have gotten there out of the charges, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, cause that sounds crazy, yeah. you know, <laughs> and as, as he's telling me all of that, right the bar's filling up and it's like a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night in mm-hmm. December, right? Early December, early to mid December. And like the bar's filling up all these people. And it's never like that in the middle of the week. Yeah. And, and I'm asking him, I'm like, what, what's going on tonight here? And he said, I don't know, but these people look like prison guards to me. And I'm like, do you, do you know them from, you know, work? Cause mm-hmm. he was, he worked as a County attorney, like not the County attorney, mm-hmm. but like an, an attorney for the city basically. And um, like a public defender. And he was like, no, nah, I don't recognize it. So finally I just asked a guy and I was like, you know, what's going on? He was like, oh yeah, this is the, you know, Pulaski County detention center Christmas party. And that's where Amy, the girl in Hellier was being held mm-hmm. at that time. Mm-hmm. And it was like those guards. And I was like, this is so strange, you know, mm-hmm. like what a weird, weird that I'm talking to him. Weird that the Christmas party for the prison where she is, is happening right now. Um, so it was like a lot of strange things like that. The more esoteric synchronicities have happened since then. And while we've been running down the, the James Shelby Downard mystery stuff, um, mm-hmm. connections to, um, you know, Michael Hoffman and uh, William Grimstead, who are, are a part of that whole mystery. So there's a lot of things there, you know, like cybernetics, you know, things that keep popping up like gold certificates, cybernetics, and, in the weirdest places that you would think there's just no way that that's just, and it's, it's like loops, you know, yeah, the first, the first and second order cybernetics, which you're talking about. And it's, it's, it's almost like as well, we are, you're, um, it's like, uh, when you plug into Google or whatever else and it's firing you some stuff that you either talked and your phone picked it up by mistake or whatever, or somebody's listening and it's starting to fire advertisements and stuff. It's like a, it's like a basically multiverse phone stuff at you. And then you need to choose what to fall. You know, it's mean? true, man. Path. It's like that. That's a great way. I hadn't thought of it that way. Before, it's like an algorithm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there is a there is a weird algorithmic element to this. The the most far out things that people have suggested to me are ideas that some of this may be an AI. You know, like some yeah. type of weird, like you know. And I think that stuff's just like way, way out there. But, um, but it is weird how much technology has has 
become a part of it, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, I talk about in the second season, this idea of psychic questing that, mm-hmm. that I, I was unfamiliar with psychic questing until I, mm-hmm. you know, really started researching this and researching, you know, tulpas and egregores and, and sort of some of these thought form ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and then I was looking at, um, you know, this idea of like, uh, the black alchemist, you know, and Andy Collins's uh, mm-hmm. book, um, and this whole story of like the green stone and, uh, the Mianea swords that these guys found in, in England, mm-hmm. uh, which really did happen. You know, they really did find this. It was front page news, you know, mm-hmm. that they had like gone on a psychic quest in the late seventies, early eighties. <laughs> and so there was a whole phenomenon of people sort of sitting down and, and doing these things and following messages or thoughts to a place randomly in a group and then someone else in the group having another impression which takes them to another place and it's like elements of randonautica in a way uh instead of that feeding you the place to go to you know through your intention you know these people were doing it and they were using ouija boards and and a lot of uh spiritualism sort of uh devices but Mm -hmm. um i think there's an undeniable element of you know relationship between that and you know what's played out in hellier you know what's played out with us but with us there's a heavy digital element you know because we're not running around in the countryside you mm-hmm. know going to bridges and, and places and, and and finding you know standing stones and things we're online for a lot of this stuff a lot of the research mm-hmm. and a lot of those things it's still it's, it's no different though we're being led down digital paths yeah rather than than actually out driving around i mean there is an element of that we've definitely driven to places you know here in kentucky you know the mine the mount victory mine definitely yeah. is a place led to um but it's just it's weird to me it's weird how much technology is built into this oh the one of the biggest synchronicities <coughs> Which relates to this, which which relates to this um, idea of of information, is that uh, Efa, you know, the this whole hanged man card. You know, I was mm-hmm. receiving these messages from someone who had kept telling me, repeating the hanged man. And so, when I looked in more into the hanged man, I found out that there was one hanged man card in in one of the tarot decks that was mm-hmm. changed. The name had been changed to the Observer. And it was then in the African-American tarot deck. But when, when I looked at that card, it turned out to be Ifa, the god Ifa of the Yoruban religion. Mm-hmm. And um, he's blindfolded and he's being watched by all of these eyeballs floating in the sky. Right. Mm-hmm. But the strange thing there is that Dan Dutton is an Ifa. He's been in, initiated into the Ifa religion mm-hmm. like year, years ago. He even brought his Baba um, his teacher to Somerset and that guy summoned the Yoruban gods in downtown Somerset through mm-hmm. this crazy ritual. Right. And that happened 15 years ago. Okay. And so here's this card. It's Aoife, you know, it's the observer and we're researching all of this stuff about, you know, second order cybernetics mm-hmm. and it all is centered around the observer and this, the, the system observing the observer, you mm-hmm. know, and I was like, well, this is super strange. And there's this, this element of um, binary code that the IFA religion is where binary code um, uh, was actually created. It was based on IFA mm-hmm. divination. 
And, and, and we tackle that later in, in the second season. I'll, I'll explain that whole story, but mm-hmm. it was just weird that I was researching EFA. I was researching binary code and how 256 encryption had come from the EFA religion. Dan, mm-hmm. you know, was the one that set me on that because of uh, his initiation into EFA. And he was like, oh yeah, it's kind of like binary. And you find out it is what binary mm-hmm. is based on. And then, and then Claude Shannon's information theory and all these things that, that we were already studying all wrapped into that. And then to find that tarot card where Aoife is the observer. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, it's like there's this heavy technological element built into at least our path yeah. in this whole mystery that to me is like, I don't know, is there, <laughs> is there a time traveling AI or, or something <laughs> communicating with the past? I don't know, you know. Don't know. I mean, that, that's, that's it. I mean, it's like when you've, I think in, in all of these things, you're saying the whole kind of psychic quest, and there's going to be really, really small, subtle things that you could follow. And then you probably came across it yourself when you're maybe looking at something and you, you don't click until down the line. And um, I've had things like that, I mean, myself, and you, you've not really clicked until a good bit down the line, and, and it's like total just nuts, you know what I mean, stuff. Um, but I, it, was, it was funny that you're talking about the psychic quest there, because I'd done a podcast recently, and it was related to it was related to um, one of my own stories. Um, but in that, they were talking about the same thing. It was like they were, they were driving in a car, and it was like, they need to stop here. And it was all to do with um, helping release spirits for somewhere. And it was like they were they were just on this quest and they were driving and, and going to different bits. And it was just, it just seemed like that. So that was only recently. Um, but, ah, it was quite mad. But that was related to, like, it was, it was, I was there actually to record a bit of story about, to do with something that happened with my own family. And then this kind of came up as a, a party kind of thing. But... Um, it's just quite mad. So, in in season two, um, obviously with the the psychic quest, you you probably think it's about a psychic quest, or would you say it's a would you say it's an, an initiation kind of process as well, or would you would you think it was that? Or, I mean, I think you know, I think so. Uh, well, at least that's what a lot of people. You know, I'm, I'm not a practicing practicing magician, or um, obviously I research a lot about magic now you know, and a couple yeah. practices, but, but a lot of people that are magicians or, or magical practice practitioners of some tradition have said to us like, well, this seems very initiatory. You know, the, the experiences you're having seem very initiatory. I think Dan Dutton also would agree just from art and artistic perspective. There's a, mm-hmm. there's a weirdly initiatory act um, in the way that, that we've engaged with this and that it's been engaging with us. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that the the episode that comes out this week on uh, Thursday for Patreons and Friday for um, for everybody mm-hmm. is called uh, Yellow Brick Road, and it's sort of about the, this idea that gold and gold certificates and just this idea of gold keeps popping up in lots of different from lots of different angles, you know, mm-hmm. that we're not looking for, and we've done a lot of research into alchemy. We'd already done a lot of research into alchemy and this idea of, you know, that, that gold is transmuted, not physically, but through the intent of the alchemist, really. It's like the mm-hmm. process 
is a spiritual process. And so the mm-hmm. conversion of, of the base metal into gold is really talking about the alchemist undergoing this transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like it, that was, you know, again, it, there are a lot of moments where it feels like something's winking at you or like, yeah, a little like, ha, ha, you know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's messy. <clears throat> totally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so all of those little things about like the gold certificates, you know, from like Downer, James Shelby Downer and his carnivals mm-hmm. of life and death was arch conspiracy theorist. There, there, there are these, these elements of these gold certificates. And then Jesse James, the outlaw, Mm-hmm. there's this story of his lost gold here in Pulaski County. And this had come up in the first season. I didn't put it in there, but I had these witnesses telling me about the Jesse James stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he was supposedly hidden, right? He hid the gold here and then fled even further East. And he was hidden by the family, this, this family uh, that lived on a, a place called Potter's mountain. And um, it turned out, that Johnny that Dan encountered mm-hmm. in Elkhorn city, right. That his family was the historical family that had hidden Jesse James <laughs> after he, after he hit, after he had hidden his gold. Right. And so then I was like, so that's, I'm that's going to be further in the second season, but it was like someone we had introduced early on in the first season. I was like, where in the world do I fit in Jesse James's gold into this? You know, like there's, this, this is just strange, but, but it was like, it was like that gold, the gold here, the Knights of the Golden Circle was at the post-Civil War group that hit a bunch of gold in Kentucky and the mm-hmm. South uh, so that they were going to create, <coughs> Excuse me. you know, and all this stuff. Um, that popped up, you know, and then like I said, gold certificates. And then we received these weird documents that we talked about in this episode coming out this week. And it that was those documents involve Yamashita's gold and gold certificates, right? And I'm like... There are all these gold things. Is it is it sort of another wink of this idea of transmutation, the, the idea of initiation? You know that mm-hmm. it's that it's it's just it's like it's embedded in the code of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and and like like you were saying, you know, the, this idea of algorithms. You know, mm-hmm. it's like one of the variables in this algorithm is gold, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's in, in an archetypical way. You know, not yeah. in a literal way, but then. Mm-hmm. The, this archetypal algorithm that seems to be, you know, just, you know, iterating itself yes. through our lives is, um, it's causing these sort of looping back of mm. elements, you know, and um, the more you pay attention, the more it comes as well. It, it, what you said about the, uh, the phone hearing you and then starting to feed you ads more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the more that you respond to anything, the more that it, yeah, you know, you're scared to type really in, you're scared to type in the Google <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> or any yeah, other like platform. Let I me mean, start getting adverts that's exactly, and stuff. For that's ex- yeah. That's exactly how it functions though. Because once mm-hmm. you start, you know, I think in, in terms of that too, there's an element of having to be aware of what you're doing because mm-hmm. there are so many rabbit holes to go down. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and they're all fruitful, you know, in, in a weird way. So mm-hmm. you can't, and it's happened even with our, within our group, you know, with Darian and uh, West, who's my research partner mm-hmm. um, and who design, designs and develops software with me. Um, yeah. and, and he's developed a lot of the data mining software that we use, but at, all, at various times, each of us <laughs> have gone a little too far down 
a certain rabbit hole and it's produced, you know, enough to keep us digging deeper. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that's, that's the one, you know, uh, Richard Spence who um, wrote uh, the empire of the will series, which is mm -hmm. a big part of this uh, with Walter Bosley. When we interviewed him for the first season, Walter Bosley's in the second one, but Rick Spence, he's a, a historian too, professor at the university of Idaho. Um, he's the, head consultant to the u.s espionage museum too right so this guy's written all <laughs> kinds of books about you know weird stuff and intelligence agents and things he's a big downard researcher too but mm. we'd talked to him about some of this stuff and he was just saying you know and I, and I put it in the show that you can't marry any conclusions you know and you can't you can't follow any you know follow a stream away from the river mm. you know that you've got to really try to stay on the river all yeah. the way to the ocean right mm -hmm. and this kind of stuff when you start going off on these little extra you know side adventures mm -hmm. you know it's it's hard to find your way back sometimes mm -hmm. because you know that adventure of, of those discoveries of unraveling those things mm -hmm. you know they're temp it's tempting to to keep getting further and further away mm -hmm. from the main thing you're trying to unravel and so i think we've had to be cognizant of that at times and just say, Hey, we got to put this down and mm -hmm. we got to get, this is, this is the thing we're trying to find and understand. So and then you'll get, sometimes you'll get some of these streams that'll filter back into the river again. Mm. And that's when you've got a kind of an aha moment in, in some of these things. Um, you still there? You froze. Can you hear me? Can you hear? Can you? Yeah, hear, hear you now. Hear you now. Flows there. Sorry, but yeah, I mean, those... probably my reception. <laughs> <laughs> it could be mine. Could be mine. But yeah, that those those moments, you know, those aha moments when it when you follow it away and it brings you back and it's almost like it confirms, you know, the yeah. reality. Yeah. But, but but that aha moment, I mean, man, it's so addicting. You know, the endorphins mm -hmm. of of just like, you know, because you you really can get into that. Like, man, I've got to keep digging because every time you discover something you're like oh that's yes oh yes mm -hmm. you know it's like putting a puzzle together and and seeing the pieces fit you know it's it's very um yeah, it's just very addictive yeah when you're going through and obviously with the, the victory mine and and finding out about mr x katerma and uh and potential like cia connections and and, and things like that it's uh when, when you you look at his history and stuff do you know see um, any kind of similarities to like people like Epstein for like his background in terms of like the trading and what he was involved in and, and all that kind of stuff? I mean, that's uh, I'm not going down the big Epstein route, but I just I seen a bit of similarity between the two figures, um, just like rest of the men, you know what I mean? And and I just kind of with the kind of the Epstein with the trading and and what he was involved in and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there was an element too of, of being afraid that, you know, when I was released the first season, that was really at the height of a lot of the, the QAnon stuff. Yeah. In terms yeah. of, you know, uh, cons you know, conspiracy theories like Pizzagate and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I had some concerns that, you know, I, I didn't find a, you know, a child sex cult here, mm -hmm. you know, murdering children there were people that were alleging it and definitely there was a person you know that we interviewed pamela who mm -hmm. alleges that she was part of it you know now i think something definitely there was trauma that she suffered for sure yeah yeah um now the 
extent to which I think that there was some type of, you know, there, there are, there, there have been sex trafficking and uh, child trafficking Mm -hmm. rings here in the area that have been discovered, but it's not like, you know, it's not tied to the occult Mm -hmm. um, or, or anything like that. Just really bad humans. I I think that Mm -hmm. that's something too, that, that I want to stress is that a lot of times, you know, excuse me. I've been going through uh, uh, a lot of the old paranoia magazine collections mm-hmm. uh, uh, just for research that we've been doing on some stuff. And uh, you know, there's a lot, a lot of times people will want to be like, yeah, it's a Luciferian cabal doing X, you know? And it's like always kind of putting off these really bad things on some mysterious occulted master or group or cabal. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't, I think the Fortean community and, and the paranormal community, anytime that we talk about things like this, I think we have to remember that they're just bad people. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't need a, it doesn't need a supernatural element, you know? In fact, we shouldn't look at it that way. You know mm-hmm. I mean? You know, Epstein's a, mm-hmm. you know, regardless, of, you know, there was, there was a crazy um, sex scandal in England called the Profumo affair. Hmm. You know, back in the what fifties and sixties, I think, and and that involved, you know, child sex trafficking and some magic and <laughs> like a secret society, and like that was a real thing. You know, there were a lot of politicians caught up in that. Now, you know, I, I don't know the Guterma stuff. It is weird that that this woman's telling us that there is a cult there hmm. that all these things were happening, and then we find out there was an international man of mystery there you know i mean like that's one of those things that i can't reconcile but you know in terms of was there a group here you know the original story that i heard Mm -hmm. right that there was these sex parties and stuff like that you know none of that was true the parties were true Mm -hmm. but the element of magic and secret societies was not true Mm -hmm. i I was was mainly kidding sorry to cut you off i was was mainly kidding meaning like the financial side of it it was mainly uh, for like the financial side there in terms of like a term. It seemed like somebody, regardless of um, what was said in terms of the like the the sex parties and stuff like that, I was mainly meaning the the money side there because it seemed like he was maybe a front man for um, London money for the CIA or, or something like that. I mean, and that could have been the same auspice for like like Epstein as well because he basically managed to get all these dodgy trades get in there and just be really really successful in it. And um, I, I, yeah, I totally yeah. agree with that. And, and there was a weird connection that we never that we didn't put in the show. I think we might have slightly touched on it. Steven Snyder, who's in the first season, he's in the second season too. Mm-hmm. So he's a podcast uh, called the <coughs> He uh, he's a parapolitical researcher. Again, I'd mm-hmm. never even heard of a parapolitical researcher until we started <laughs> getting into this. You know, there's a lot of new things for me. You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, but he had, he's been working on a book. I think he's since uh, published part you know parts of it but about the connections between trump and some of these things that were happening right yeah but one of the craziest things we found was that guterma owned he was he was one of the owners of trump's first casino he ever purchased (laughs) right and it's tied into a a group called i can't think of it right now something international um but that group turned out to be an international front for real, not a conspiracy theory mm-hmm. turned out that they were um, a, a front for money laundering for the CIA. Mm-hmm. And they were co-owners with this 
casino that mm-hmm. that Guterma was involved in. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like we, we kept finding weird intelligence stuff with Guterma. And yeah, man, I mean, get, getting all of those documents from the FBI, mm-hmm. you know, that regarding Guterma, I was like, holy crap, you know, like, had, mm-hmm. you know. 1600 pages of of documents and it's like the, the guy never went to prison you know and he he rolled on some like very powerful people and didn't go to prison continued on but he ends up like why would you end up in somerset kentucky and then but the mine you purchased was owned by the vice president you know like it's just it's a it's a weird thing it's like what are all of these people doing here and then when we found all the stuff about like chuck hayes charles hayes this mm-hmm. this cia agent which we didn't put this in the episode i, I don't think but uh, that just aired but um <clears throat> there's this whole thing where he flew um charles hayes flew fidel castro to the united states in his first visit to meet with nixon right and that's not it's in a book that's not about chuck hayes it's a book about another guy and the researchers like it's an offhand comment you know it's like a little paragraph and it's like oh the cia pilot chuck hayes from nancy kentucky and it's like you know all these people are saying this guy's not a cia agent but he keeps showing up and all of these weird chapters but again it's like what's that guy doing here in Pulaski County, you know, why are all of these intelligence agents here in this one area, you know? And, and then like, why, why is all this weirdness happening, happening here too? And then I've talked with some other researchers who said that that's one of the strange things that they found is the more that they looked into particular areas of high strangeness, the more that they, and specifically high strangeness, you know, not, not just paranormal activity yeah, or yeah. the occult, but like, truly high strangeness um they often find start to uncover the involvement of intelligence services mm-hmm. in the area so so then you have to ask the question is the cia and some of these other clandestine groups are they hip to the high strangeness you know <laughs> do, do do they know mm-hmm. that it's actually part of something else that mm-hmm. they're also interested that has some strategic value mm-hmm. that we all don't understand yet you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's it's just so strange, dude. And I swear to God, every time we're like, there is nothing else to find. It couldn't get weirder. It <laughs> always does. It always does. You know, is it is there any time during the investigation? Um, we doing like season one or like any season two? Is there any time you thought about stopping because it was either maybe you maybe thought it was too dangerous or because it was I don't know. Probably I'd say because it was maybe too dangerous or because we're getting too weird. Um, the, the first time it happened was the, um, the, when we talked to Greg and them, cause you know, at that point I was like, there's no cult. We need to back off that. You know, let's focus on the paranormal stuff. Yeah. And then when they came and told us that, that stuff, I was like, okay, maybe I, if I put myself and my family in danger over mm-hmm. a podcast, you know, um, just because having an outside group tell me that a woman from town had con- like, had contacted them and given them enough evidence to make them come to Somerset to check mm-hmm. it out was weird, you know, mm-hmm. cause I was like, well, maybe there is something to this. Again, it, it turned out to be a way stranger thing, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, but when we, when, there were some signs that appeared around town after the, the first uh, season, a couple weeks after it premiered. Mm-hmm. And that was a little disconcerting because it, again, it was one of those situations where I wondered if, if uh, just if there were some people that 
might be, um, you know, genuinely crazy or, mm-hmm. you know, not interpreting things the right, right way that might show up. Or, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, you know what I'm saying? So, so that, that made me a little scared. The only other thing has been the, the, this episode this week that we discuss is really the first time that we've publicly talked about, really talked about these documents we received, you mm-hmm. know, and that, that were really strange. And they do seem to contain what for all intents and purposes looks like, um, you know, true international financial, you know, that, that kind of stuff where it's like, are these the bank accounts of people that would not want this stuff out there? You mm-hmm. know, now we're not putting any of it out. I do also want to say that lots of people at this point have seen those documents. So if someone were to, mm-hmm. you know, decide to like come, you know, beat the shit. Out of me to, He's a public, to, you know, like, like, like I, if you take me out, they're still out there. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, there's, you're not going to gain anything, right? It's not a dead man switching them or out the route there already. Yeah. yeah right, right. It's like, there's only one USB. Side, but, but they're out, they're out there. So, that, so, but what has concerned me a little bit is talking about this stuff. Cause a, a, a few of the people that are involved in it are still alive. They're yeah. older, you know, but they are still alive. And I think the documents probably were part of a fraud that, that in, did involve uh, former intelligence agents, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That were running a scam that they've actually gotten caught running mm-hmm. pr- previously. But then you got to wonder to what extent some of the documents are real, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe, maybe, maybe it is some stuff from an operation that they ran that they mm-hmm. took, you know, um, that they've mixed with these other fake documents to try to sell this in a scheme, mm. you know, and because and, that looks like what it is. But that still worries me just to even talk about some of this stuff just bec- because, you know, maybe someone's out there and they, they didn't get the, the yeah, dirt, they just don't back up again or, yeah, yeah. Things yeah, like just don't, don't, you know, why, <laughs> you know, and so I, again, I, I, I don't. I think anybody researching this stuff there, there has, to, you know, and again, we don't, I don't, I don't say anyone's name, you know, mm-hmm. been very careful. And, and the person that provided the documents, we've obscured their voice, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it's a weird, it's an interesting episode. It's a weird episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's the yellow brick road episode, you know? Yeah. I even, talk, I even talk about the wizard of Oz and pink Floyd and playing the, the <laughs> album together. Right. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but it, it is just one of those things where I, you know, that and the Chuck Hayes stuff, you know, the intelligence. That was interesting. I, I've never heard of these stories before. I mean, with the, the fifth column and stuff like that. It's absolutely yeah. nuts. Like, and dude, did you find out that that's like vintage conspiracy theory? Especially yeah. we've we've recently been data mining all the Usenet groups, and man, he was like a rock star. Mm-hmm. Like, if you were in conspiracy theory in the late '80s, early '90s, you knew who this guy was, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, uh, Chris Carter and. Uh, you know, the X-Files. The X-Files, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is right at the time that these shows were coming out. And, though, and you, you can see in interviews, he's talking about the fact that they were like just engaging with conspiracy theory and reading all these stuff. So they had to have come across this story, yeah, especially yeah. the Cray the supercomputer thing. And I'm hmm. like, the dude builds a Cray supercomputer and puts it in the back of a semi and starts driving it around Pulaski <laughs> County in Kentucky, you know? And it's like, the it's just crazy, you know? <clears throat> I'm like that's crazy and then guterma and then the kentucky anomaly and then it's just like the it's like there has to be something to this mm-hmm. you know and and i guess like trying to figure out what that something is is really what penny roll has become you know because mm-hmm. it's like this is incredible and and as someone who loves strange stories it's like just fell in my lap 
you know, and it's like, <laughs> holy shit, you know, I get to tell this story, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, but the, the intelligence stuff, though, definitely uh, that's given me the most pause because, you know, the occult and monsters and entities and, sh- and shit like that, you know, like, you know, that's probably not going to show up at my front door and mm-hmm. you know, kick it in <laughs> or, you know, put handcuffs on me or anything like, that. you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm more afraid of the humans than I am of, of this other stuff, you know, so so. I think the other one was with the, the, um, the guy was found in the driveway with the the part in the parachute. His parachute. Oh, field. dude, the bluegrass conspiracy. Stuff. Yeah, that's nuts, man. And see, that ties into all of this, right? Because mm-hmm. the guy, one of the guys that owned the mine, the attorney, he was he was almost busted in a sting that was part of that in Eastern Kentucky, but he got out. And you know, this idea that like the mayor, the chief of police, and like the city magistrates are all involved in like mm-hmm. a conspiracy happened in multiple towns in Kentucky in Mm -hmm. the 80s because the cartels, the Colombian cartels, had infiltrated Kentucky. And these guys were flying this stuff up here and then dropping it off. But the other thing that's crazy is, like, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that's not a conspiracy. It's not because, yeah. (laughs) And And the Andrew Thornton guy that was involved in it, he was a CIA. I mean, he got busted breaking into a naval naval base, Mm -hmm. stealing uh, rocket launchers again, you know, and here you got Chuck Hayes, right? What are the odds that these guys didn't know each other, you yeah. know? And the same thing with like Guterma being here. What are the odds that Guterma and Hayes didn't know each other? You know, the, mm-hmm. it's just the personalities are too big, but the, the, but the bluegrass conspiracy stuff and the flying the drugs, we find out that Hayes supplied most of the information for the Mena, Arkansas case. Uh, which people have probably seen the film American made with uh, um, Tom, Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Yeah. And so that guy was flying drugs down, you know, and there was flying guns back and all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. with the CIA. Well, Chuck Hayes was the one that told them that this was happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Because he was also one of the pilots <clears throat> and they were supposedly flying it out of the airport here in Somerset. Mm-hmm. And it was the Iran Contra stuff. They were flying the, guns down and then drugs back. Training and camps so, and, and stuff like that as well. And, and all that shit. Right? Yeah. And then the Bluegrass <laughs> Conspiracy talks about the fact that they were training the Sandinistas yeah. 30 minutes north of here at Lake Harrington, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like all of this stuff is tied together. But it is like, you know, do you want to stir up some of this stuff? You know, and I, <laughs> you know, surely no one would think that a tiny podcast. <laughs> <laughs> people in Somerset are a threat, but that stuff scares me just because it, it is, you know, there's no conspiracy there. There's a, some of this stuff is, you know, some yeah. of it's fun to think about and to postulate about and find connections and stuff. Mm. Some of it though is like really is drug dealers, really is cartels, really is intelligence agents, yeah. you know, and it's a, it's a reality. But that one, just, just to kind of, just for the, the audience, who maybe have not um, heard that bit, but it was the, I think the guy was found in somebody's driveway with night vision goggles on, parachute never opened, and uh, ledgers and cocaine strapped him and all that skinny stuff. Eh? It, was... <laughs> it, was, it was down in... What's crazy too is that leads into a really famous story, or it was a legend that turned out to be true. So the guy, he was flying, the DA got behind him in a plane. He freaks out, straps everything to him, jumps out. Too much weight. Yeah, his parachute mm-hmm. doesn't work. He ends up in a driveway in Knoxville, mm-hmm. uh, right? But the plane, he put it on autopilot, right? Mm-hmm. And it continued to go with the rest of the cocaine that he couldn't strap on him. Mm-hmm. 
and it crashed in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it crashes in the Blue Ridge Mountains and a bear finds it. And, and so the bear eats the cocaine and dies. So when they find the plane, there's a dead brown bear that is just covered in cocaine. It was this, it's a, it's a real news story. Like you can read the newspaper, but they refer to it as the cocaine bear. That's crazy. It's like, what? that's such a nutty, nutty thing, man. <laughs> so going back to maybe a wee bit of the high strangeness, we'll kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll come off the, the intelligence agencies and, and all the conspiracy. Well, no, I mean, they're probably not, they're not conspiracies, the factual stories that happened. <laughs> and, um, so the Kentucky anomaly, when did you first kind of find out about that and how you maybe linked it with some of the high strangers that like it was happening in the area? That was one of the, to me, that's the sort of the anchor point around all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you find so much high strangeness and so many things that are not even high strangeness, just, just weird people and weird things that are attracted to this area. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, when we were living in Lexington, we were going to move down here to Somerset. You know, I, I, like I said, I've researched a lot of Fortean phenomena and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I love reading about, I think at the time I'd read about Sedona and I've talked about this before, you know, that, that, um, at the time Sedona was like the number one place in the U S that you'd have a UFO encounter. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that's kind of weird. And, and so someone had brought up the portals, and the fact that there was all this quartz and that it was this geomagnetic anomaly. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I had gotten online and found one of the geomagnetic um, uh, satellite files that you can get. This one was from, I think the European space agency, mm-hmm. but there are these KMZ files. And so uh, it's probably changed. This was back, you know, 10 years ago or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. nine or 10 years ago. But um, at the time you could take these KMZ files and drop them into Google earth on mm-hmm. the desktop. Right. Yeah. And it would change the view um, to this uh, to the satellite view. And so mm-hmm. I'd done that because I wanted to see if Sedona really did light up and it did light up. And mm-hmm. then there was a place in southern Alaska and then a place here in the southeastern United States. And we weren't living in Somerset at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. But I remember I was like, well, this is awesome because I was thinking, is there a correlation between the people in Sedona seeing all these UFOs mm-hmm. and the intense geomagnetic fields with the quartz which create, creates like a piezoelectric effect right mm-hmm. so i wondered like is that affecting people's brains because there is an idea you know japanese studies have been done uh various places in the world have done studies on geomagnetic anomalies and um, just electromagnetic radiation and the effect on the human brain you know causing people to commit you know higher incidences of suicide you know higher incidences of violence and psychosis you know mm-hmm. And so I was like, this is great because this isn't that far away. This is in my backyard. You know, I can go here. I can talk to these people and see if they've seen more things, you know, Mm -hmm. in the sky. And then when (coughs) when I zoomed in, it turned out to be Pulaski County, Somerset, right? (laughs) Where my, at the time, my girlfriend, you know, was from. And then when we got married, we moved down here. I was like here I am, you know, I'm, 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 I'm going to be able to like look into this, you know? And, and so that was always like in the back of my mind, you know, I'd, I'd found, uh, you know, I'd found that. And, and then when you look at it too, it's just so crazy because literally it's Pulaski County is the heart of it, right. Mm-hmm. Where the, the most intense spot is and it spirals out and then down into Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And once we'd released the first season, 
other people started researching this and then there were a group of um, spelunkers and they had gotten in touch with a guy that had done one of the geomagnetic surveys. Mm-hmm. He sent them the survey that showed where the most intense areas were mm-hmm. here in Pulaski County. And one of them is where the mine is. And the other one is in the southern part of the county where this bridge where the Kino monster is sighted. And people <laughs> reported stuff forever. But the crazy thing is like where Guterma's mine is, mm-hmm. is the peak. It's one of the two peaks. Oh, this so it's like... That being here and all of these things happening, mm-hmm. you know, did some of these people know about the bait cabal stuff too? The fact that we found out that the this magical order was coming down here, a Typhonian magical order, you know, who mm-hmm. believe in the Cthulhu mythos, you know, Lovecraftian stuff, this whole Kenneth Grant mm-hmm. uh, OTO stuff. They really thought that they were coming. Well, I mean, then maybe they were, I don't know. I'm just saying, but they believed that they were coming here to that area where Mount, and they didn't, I don't think they knew about, they definitely didn't know about the mine, mm-hmm. but did they know about the anomaly? Did they sense the anomaly? Mm-hmm. But Nima who led the group was coming here. That's right where the Daniel Boone national forest is, right? It's like the mine is in the national forest. Mm-hmm. And when he died, when the died in a plane crash, right? In 77, they the U S government confiscated that mine. But it's not every other like little like strip mine area is now a part of the national forest and the national forest owns it and is a conservator of it. That it's a donut that just says property of the U.S. government and it's the mine. No, I and, not. And it's, then it's like, why did they confiscate that? And like what? <laughs> anyway, it's just that, that, you know, these groups are coming there. But the National Boone, the Daniel Boone National Forest is where uh, Nima perform these rituals that she writes about that she sent to Kenneth Grant about opening this portal or trying to, they're trying to close a portal through which these entities that they believe are the old ones that are non-human intelligences Mm -hmm. are attempting to penetrate out. But it's like that group was here at the same time that at Oakwood, there are allegations of a witch cult, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, there are allegations that nine savants in one of the cottages are are possessed for all intents are inhabited mm-hmm. by non-human intelligences who are trying mm-hmm. to communicate a message you know and it's like here in the heart of the anomaly but then you throw alexander <laughs> alexander Guterma into the mix and the fact that the vice president of the united states also owned the mine in that area where all this is happening mm-hmm. it's just like what, what what do you say to that you know and it's like but then there's so much more you know it's just it all just it's like a, a cornucopia of weird and it's the amount of money they bought they bought the mine for as well for the for, for what was actually worth than that they, they bought it for yeah. like far more than 50, the, yeah 15 million dollars and it was back it then, really cool. yeah someone yeah. suggested to us uh, R- richard spence uh brought up the fact that in the 70s there was a lot of um uh nuclear waste disposal in mm-hmm. coal mines and so he was asking if we'd ever taken a Geiger counter up there to see if maybe Guterma was purchasing that. And that's why it didn't produce anything because they were using it to store it because they've since dynamited it and sealed it up. Oh, can you not get in it? You can't get into it. Oh, right. right okay. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, that's an, I, haven't, I haven't done that. I haven't gone up there and like poked around like that. I mean, it's a weird place and you are on government property and, mm-hmm. you know, and like we took, we took our beacon up there and I didn't leave the beacon because I was afraid. We'd put it up there and broadcast the message, 
Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to leave the beacon because if someone went and got hurt there, they'd be like, Nathan, your beacon drew, <laughs> drew me to this. Fell down the mine. It's your fault. <laughs> I fell down the mine. You told me to go to the mine. You know, there's a feedback. So anyway, drop it to the mine. <laughs> right. So he took that back. But, but yeah, so, you know, it's like this anomaly is here. And it's like, there is this crazy history of violence mm. in this specific area right here. And, and so you've got to wonder. Is that higher propensity for violence because of the Kentucky anomaly? I, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, I think it is, you know, personally I do. And based on the research that we've done mm-hmm. and research that other people have done. Um, but it's just so there's even weirder stuff than that. You know, that someone told me, which I haven't had time getting all the second season stuff together. Uh, someone had told me to um, someone we interviewed um, that in Georgia, at one of the colleges down there, there's a department and there's a guy who's studying the relationship between, and this is a professor. Mm-hmm. He believes that there are portals tied to geomagnetic anomalies on the Earth's, Earth's surface. And they were like, you've got to talk to this guy because he's been researching this for years. And he thinks that that it, that it does create some type of spatial distortions. And it, the surface gravity is slightly... Oh, it's the one, the one where the Kentucky anomaly is off the chart. Hey, it's compared to you get anomaly. You do get anomalies everywhere, and some are higher than others. And the, the Kentucky anomaly is like off the chart. I mean, it's like when you look at the peaks too. Like they do a three dimensional map. Mm-hmm. It's it's so high. Truly, the Van Allen belts mm-hmm. dip down to touch it. I mean, it's this intense magnetic anomaly, mm-hmm. but it's so intense that it does distort the. And it's not like gravity's it's any different for us but i'm just saying but in terms of surface gravity it, you know there's also a, a gravitational mm-hmm. anomaly that's associated with it but i've had weird stories from people that i that i interviewed that i didn't put in the show where the only paranormal thing that happened to them mm-hmm. was that they walked into a room in their house and an item floated off the shelf and then fell in the floor and that's it like mm-hmm. they haven't had anything else strange happen to them but they'll be like, well, that's one thing happened. And I'm like, but is your house have any other activity? No, nothing. It's like, is that the anomaly? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and absolutely my wife had the experience with that thermostat, mm-hmm. you know, and she's not into this stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like she thinks I'm full of shit. You know? and, <laughs> my wife's the same. She just rather not know. So, <laughs> right? Don't want to know. <laughs> so for her to tell me that, that she had that experience, you know, where there was a distortion. Could you just, could you just recall that experience, um, what it was? Yeah, she. we had just moved down here. I think we lived here for a couple of years. And in the middle of the day, again, this happened twice, so I, I didn't record the times. I wish I had, you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. I, I would have looked to see if there was a pattern. But um, <clears> at the <throat> first, I didn't think it was paranormal. But she walks out of the shower, uh, second, second floor where we lived, and on the wall, there's a thermostat, and she saw it in the middle of the day slide like three feet over to the left mm-hmm. and then a couple feet down and then it bounced back into place with this like whoa whoa whoa, whoa right nice. so she thought she was having a she didn't think paranormal she thought mm-hmm. she was having a brain aneurysm or something yeah. you know and so she screams for me i go up there and i'm like you know things on the wall it's fine but she's telling me about this distortion she had and then she like lays down for a while and that was kind of it you know it was like well it was kind of weird but then um, I think it was two or three years later, the same thing happened again. And again, I wish I had recorded when the first one happened, you know, to know what time of year, what time of day, exactly the same thing happened. And she saw it again. 
and you know that's strange you know it's, it's like she saw a spatial distortion but then next door so the street that we lived lived on at the time um next door to us the people that told me the story about um uh the the murders and then turned out their family were the ones that owned that cabin right the <laughs> elevator um on the street where we live on a freemason uh in the house that darian moved into he moved in a few houses down from me a freemason committed suicide in full freemason regalia in the in the living room right mm -hmm. which was weird right mm -hmm. um then there were two twin boys that shot each other in the house like across the street uh accidentally shot each other right mm -hmm. um then uh the guy that edits our show he lives three houses to the left the house and, and everybody kind of like moved to the street together <coughs> the street that he was on or the house he was in it turned out you know he was at some uh city council meeting and this doctor comes up to him that lives on the street he's like oh you live in so-and-so's house and he was like yeah we just moved in he was like yeah that's uh that's the house that the twin girls who saw angels come out of the floor that would tell them the future lived. And it turned out there were these twin, there was twins that shot themselves in a house that were just a few houses down. But then these twin girls that would see these beings of light come out of the floor and then would reveal prophecies to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that was in the sixties, 60s, 60s, 70s. But I'm telling that story to the neighbors that told me all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And the son, one of the brothers, reveals to me privately and but later was allowed me to like talk about it that when he was a child he had seen these beings of light come mm -hmm. up out of the floor in their house mm -hmm. and so so then you gotta wonder is that connected are like are we on some type of peak you mm -hmm. know in the the uh, the whole anomaly or some type of shift or something i don't know but sure. it just was weird that all of those <clears throat> things were concentrated in that same area yeah know? No, that's mad. It is mad. I was um, it's quite interesting because as well, you, you you always hear anomalies and you always hear there's always like UFO activity and, and, and strange activity running about it, anything at all. And it's like a, a kind of common thing that people in the paranormal like know about. Um, if it's true or no, you, you don't know. But there was a there's a place down the coast of England, um, and they got loads of kind of UFO and, and light phenomena reports and stuff like that. And one of them, one of them. There's a base down there as well, like a, it's a, a radar base. It's called Staxton Wald. And be, I'm going into the story because it's to cut a long story short, right? So um, so they've been having phenomena for years in this one place. And there's a, a guy that now, um, ex-CIA, called uh, John Ramirez, who um, is kind of involved a wee bit in the disclosure kind of process of what's happening with the UAP in America and stuff. He's an experiencer who's came out of the... CIA used to work on all the kind of radar information and he's trying to help people um, basically um, have the right terminology to get better um, FOIA requests and stuff, right? So what what actual agency they need to go to and what they need to ask for and all that kind of stuff. So he's helping with that and he knows a lot of stuff about radars and stuff and capabilities. So the whole thing with the UAP is like there's, there's certain types of radar that can track them and all that kind of stuff and and or even attract them rather than track them and that. So I was asking about Staxton Wall because they, they can, I was asking just via message on Twitter mm -hmm. about the capabilities of a certain base. And he, and he was talking about it because I could do X, Y, and Z. And he was going through it all. Some of it's over my head. And then uh, 
he says and ask about it, about the, the the attraction of it, and he says, well, and he just was talking about the this is just in type, obviously, right? Talking about the radar, and he says, well, I don't know about the UK, but I know there's magnetic anomalies elsewhere. Um, like there's one here and one here and one here kind of thing, and we do know like down that bit there's a magnetic, magnetic anomaly off the coast um, in that kind of general area as well, so it was interesting he said that, you know what I mean, come to his background of where he is and stuff so yeah. I so digressed a bit there, sorry no, I think I definitely think that there's a relationship there to what's happening, you know what I mean it just, mm. I just, I think it's undeniable that that is uh, part part of the phenomena of whatever it is you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just I, I don't know i mean that's the things like how like that guy knowing that stuff you know it's like what what piece could he really put you know what i mean he might be like oh yeah you know here you mm-hmm. go here's this i don't know if that's just his own research or for his, from his actual past you know what i mean but um it was a bit it was a bit anyway um just see if i'm going to cover any other questions i was going to ask you and that's so um, aye, so just maybe I'm going to cover kind of some stuff about obviously covered a bit about the geomagnetic um, Crowley in the area as well um, Alistair Crowley I mean he you know he was prominent kind of visiting the area and, and going by as well and it, it seemed to draw a lot of cults in um, potentially could have been an anomaly or, or whatever well, that, that, was weird. That, that was weird too for sure because um, you know again we're not, we not, none of us practice magic, you know, like we're not in the OTO or any group like that. But once we started researching this stuff and I started researching more about, you know, obviously I knew who Alistair Crowley was, mm-hmm. but, um, but more how I thought of Crowley was this, uh, you know, one of the popular sort of interpretation, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know any of this stuff about his uh, time as a spy, you know, that mm-hmm. he did he, any of that stuff. And uh, Richard Spence, who, you know, uh, he did secret agent, 666 which is mm-hmm. all about uh crowley as a spy and and crowley really was going to all of these different uh freemason lodges and mm-hmm. he was trying to get um their magical doctrine which you know i'm like freemasons don't have magical doctrines right but then you know we're talking to um to uh marco visconti you know who who's a, a practicing magician but also a freemason um, in london and and he mentioned the Magian Society, and we had found letters uh, at the Louisville Lodge mm-hmm. uh, here in Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, that there was a Magian Society, and I didn't know what that was. It turns out the Magian Society is an internal group within the Freemasons, like a real group mm-hmm. that preserves these magical records, right? That actually looks into occult stuff, and that's actually why Crowley got deported from the U.S. is the mm-hmm. guy in Louisville that was the head of the Magian Society wrote a letter to the government saying this guy's a spy and then they were going to nab him and he fled the country. Mm-hmm. But you know, what was he doing going around grabbing Freemasonic, you know, magical rituals. Um, but you know, I, I didn't know that Crowley was ever in Kentucky, but then you read his diaries and mm-hmm. he traveled to, um, to Mammoth cave you mm-hmm. know, and Western, the Western part of the Penny Royal is Mammoth Cave and Hopkinsville, where the Hopkinsville Goblins story is, right? <laughs> and and so that western tip of the Penny Royal, you know, you've got Crowley showing up doing a ritual in Mammoth Cave, the largest cave in the world. Mm-hmm. But then north 
of there, like maybe an hour, is a place called Livingston County, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think Smithland is in Livingston County, mm-hmm. but uh, so Livingston uh, County is where his mother's sister immigrated to the United States, and Crowley's family was living in Kentucky. <laughs> and so here he is traveling through Kentucky, right? He and then there's a reference in another um, biography <laughs> about Crowley about him probably going to see them you know so it's like you start to trace all this stuff down and at the time in order to travel through kentucky you would go from cincinnati to somerset and then Mm -hmm. somerset to these other places and then he ends up leaving for three he leaves kentucky and for like three months Mm -hmm. um he's in the south touring the south right but the way that he goes down to georgia would have taken him along this new railroad route that went through elkhorn city Mm -hmm. hell yeah right mm-hmm. to a part a place called breaks mm-hmm. and breaks was was uh they referred to it as the gateway to the west mm-hmm. it was so, the break in the cumberlands right so mm-hmm. like if you were going west you had to go through this spot right and that's where the the railroad went mm-hmm. so you know i think it's, i think it's very likely and when you you know i pulled old uh railway at the time like the rail routes where you would go to, where you had to interchange, where you had to stay overnight. And it, and it is I almost certain that he came through Somerset. Yeah. yeah. And went west. And, and I think he went east. I think he came through breaks. Whenever you look at that painting too, that he made of, of the moon or of the tower. Right. Um, and you match it up with Kentucky, West Virginia and Virginia. I mean, it, it is an exact match and whether or not he, you know, he painted that, after he fled the United States and went to um, uh, Cephalu and uh, the island of Cephalu and, and uh, created the, um, the uh, Abbey of Telema. Mm-hmm. While he was there, he made these paintings, and one of those paintings exactly matches this area. And there's a staff, and where the staff's head is is exactly Elkhorn City and Hellier, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like just the way the whole thing is, it's so, so uh-huh. strange. Um, so, anyway, I, I definitely think that Crowley. You know, with time and energy that will even, you know what I mean? Saying like we can lock down even more of this stuff. The more the time that I've had to really get into private collections, we found all kinds of stuff in this like um, private collection by Marcello Truzzi. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we've just, it, we've uncovered a lot of stuff. And it's just like get the season, second season out and then dive back into the research and uh, and see what we find. Smart when you look at Abe Crowley's, Crowley stayed up in Scotland in a place called Bolskeen House, which was on the, it was on like the, the banks, uh, Loch Ness. And there's a magnetic anomaly up there, which just encompasses Bolskeen House as well. Oh, is that really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. When you look you, at it, it's, it's not as intense as the Kentucky anomaly, but it's a prominent magnetic anomaly that, that encompasses, it's, it's basically on the kind of outer edge of the, one of the just kind of only anomalies up there was Bolskeen House. You, you um, know, that's where the child ballads were born too, right? Like the no, child, I don't know. Yeah, so, so while Crowley was living uh, mm-hmm. on Loch Ness, obviously there's the story that may have summoned the Loch Ness monster. You know, mm-hmm. people believe, believe that. Yeah, um, yeah. The whole dragon thing. But, uh, but truly though, while he was living there, the family that was collecting the child ballads right mm-hmm. the actual um collection were at the lake mm-hmm. and the child ballads 
uh, Gardner was involved in it. So Gardnerian Wicca mm-hmm. was born on the edges of Loch Ness at this family. I cannot think of their name. They were the ones that formed the Scottish Special Forces. Um, okay. uh, forget the family name anyway, but like the special forces in the world came mm-hmm. from this family who specialized before there were any type of specialized, like special forces things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They like trained this and had a heritage of this, mm-hmm. but it was at their home where these were collected and Gardner was involved and people speculate that Crowley was involved mm-hmm. and that modern Gardnerian Wicca is based on the child ballads, but based on Crowley's interpretation mm-hmm. of the child ballads. And it's very controversial because people are like, no, 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 no. There's no way Crowley could have helped invent Wicca, modern Wicca, you know. Mm-hmm. But when you read through the evidence of what this family had, the child ballads, what they mm-hmm. were doing, the fact that he was two or three miles away mm-hmm. at the same time. You know what I mean? And I know. Like, I know. And at the same time as well, you've got like, not even for there, just connections and stuff, but you've got like about 30 miles as a crow flies for there. You've got um, a mountain called Devil's Point used to be called Devil's Penis with the Celts, right? And there's all kind of strange stuff for that. Next to that is another place called Ben McDo, where you get the story of the big grey man, which is like some kind of entity's been seen. Crowley was a, a mountaineer as well. And he was part of the kind of mountaineering club and all that kind of stuff. So it'll have been up the, the hills and stuff as well. I mean, but, and there's an adjacent an adjacent mountain for Ben McDo just next to it which is um, it, pilgrimages. For, I think it's like the, the Ethereum Society or something like that. It's like some UFO cult uh, for the 60s and stuff, man. It's mad. I mean, no, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to that now. <laughs> aye, aye, loads of stuff, man. I love the, the UFO cult stuff, especially, you know, we found um, some crazy stuff in an article that was written in the mid-70s uh, about, um, I guess, it's not Leicestershire, I, how, how, I think I mispronounced is it, it in this. Is it Lancaster? Is it Lancaster? Is it yeah, yeah. Lancashire. Yeah. Is it Lancashire. Yeah. Or Lan- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think of the name. I'll tell you right now the name of the actual cult. What it is. Uh, da, 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 da. I had it sitting here. Two seconds. Oh, I think it is the. I see it. I'm not going to dig through it. I'll send you it and see it. But there's like, a, I think it's like the, the Theria Society or something like that. Oh, the Theria Society, A E T H E R. Yeah, dude. Yes. Aye, that's yeah. A, it's a UFO cult. Aye, aye. That's the, that was one of the prominent mountains that they went to. It was like, I can't remember the name of it, but it's just next to Ben McDo, which is a place where all this weird stuff happens. There's been loads of weird stuff where people have seen this like thing called the Big Green Man. It was called with the Celts. It's, it's actually the way it's just. The pronunciation in the like, English is like the big grey man, but there's been lots of different stories, like some type of being or whatever. And then, uh, but there's been other stuff where people have heard like music in the middle of nowhere, and it's like up there, it's like all quartz and granite and stuff like that as well. And there's just loads of stuff. I mean, you could dig yeah. into that. That's my kind of next protocol, what I try and get in up there. I actually went up during the summer and just had a kind of overnight camp myself in middle of, middle of nowhere and stuff. And I was that knacker for the walk, I just fell asleep. <laughs> I was going to say, did anything happen? Was it weird? <laughs> no, as I'm saying, just fell asleep. It was, it was a, the, the thing. The thing was, it was like midsummer in Scotland, so we only had like um, it was like two hours of darkness, and it was light again. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, dude. Well, that that group, the Aetherius Society, um, I think they were involved in. There's a a group that was like Borderland Research Society or something, something mm-hmm. with Borderlands. 
science and uh, I'll see what I can find. I've got something on that, but yeah, dude, those guys were developing all kinds, kinds of weird spiritual technologies, mm. like combining tech with uh, spiritism and spiritualism mm. um, and trying to contact non-human intelligences. I mean, that stuff just fascinates the shit out of me, man. You know uh, what I mean? Uh, like, mm-hmm. uh, Cause it, it's like how much of this, that's happening here is because groups were here trying to contact non-human intelligences. Feedback know? loop. <laughs> yeah, dude. And, and who knows that if these things are even non-human intel, I mean, they're non-human intelligences, but you know, one of the things that I argue in the show is that we don't know that these things aren't information structures, mm-hmm. just d- disincarnate data, you know, yeah. because when you get into the theory of Claude Shannon and data and how data is transferred to the environment. It's Mm -hmm. very esoteric Mm -hmm. because when you delete things off your computer, it isn't gone. Mm -hmm. It gets ejected into your immediate area Mm -hmm. through, through thermodynamics and heat. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really crazy. It's like, you know, when you delete that file, that file just doesn't vanish. Mm -hmm. It actually goes into your environment. And that to me, that's weird. You know, what are the implications? You know, <laughs> right, well, man. Listen, it's been it's been great having you on, um, and uh, I wish you all the best with the show as well. And the, I mean, it's been really, really good to listen to the second season as well, um, and I'll continue listening. So, all the listeners out there, if you've no um, picked up the Penny Royal podcast, um, I'll put it in the links and I'll put it on my my page as well. Get listening to it because it's it's pretty good stuff. Uh, and oh, the so. so um, have you got another? I take it you've got a, a podcast tonight or something like that. You're doing something else. Oh, uh, we, we do our Monday Monday night live streams um, mm-hmm. for the for the lodge, right? For yeah. The Patreon, mm-hmm. and so we get on there and we talk about all of our research that week and like what we've been doing. We've been really trying to involve everybody mm-hmm. um, in it as it's happened. That's that's the only thing people who have been in the lodge have uh, on the Patreon have heard about most of this stuff. It ha- mm-hmm. they haven't seen it all come together, you know, into an episode. Yeah. But They've all been there when Monday nights we get on and we're like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, um, so, so that's been fun, you know, including them and, and a lot. And actually a lot of stuff in the second season came from people in the lodge who found stuff. Or stuff good, in the, yeah. So it, uh, we wouldn't have found the Chuck Hayes stuff if it hadn't been for that. We mm-hmm. totally missed it. And, uh, and there have been other things too, where people are like, they pointed us in the right direction and it was really through trying to build that community that that happened. And again, mm-hmm. it's a feedback loop. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like will there be a, a third season? Yes. Yeah. yeah. There will be a third season. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to have a project in between this. And, I mean, I'm going to continue to research, you know, things are still happening, you know what yeah. I mean? And, it, you know, but um, the third season is planned. Um, it's definitely going to be more esoteric. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of probably going to involve some time travel, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. But I've got something else planned too that has popped mm-hmm. up through our research, uh, a, a, a part of the story that really informs this story, also. And I really want to maybe t- touch on that, you know, for a couple months, and mm-hmm. uh, and then get back in the penny roll. So, no, dude, thank, thanks seriously. Thanks for having me on the show. Not at all. It's been a pleasure. Um, do, you want to plug, do you want to plug in apart for the show? Anything else? Uh, now, I mean, people can find the podcast uh, uh, anywhere online um, and then, you know, go to pennyrollpodcast.com uh, or, you know, Patreon. We've got, uh, you know, search Pennyroll and you'll find the Liminal Lodge. So 
yeah, you know, it's uh, it's out there. Hopefully, people will enjoy it. Some of these episodes are getting a little dense and weird. <laughs> There's a lot of information, you know, but uh, hopefully, we're able to tame the beast and, mm-hmm. and get it into a, a a manner that people can, you know, receive that transmission. You know, so. that's it, man. I get the, get the loop going again. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's all about loops. Dude. Well, um, listen, man. Like, thanks for having you on, Nathan, and I uh, hope we get you back on again at some point and. Thank you.